Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, a simple beggar named Brad. I have found bread, the bread of life, Yeshua of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Zadik, the Righteous One, Jesus, the Christ. I hope to reveal this bread to others that they may find atonement and redemption through his death. This episode, Would You Die For Me? Credit hard rock and heavy metal band Bride for the title to this episode. Brothers Dale and Troy Thompson founded Bride in the mid-1980s. The song, Would You Die For Me, is off of, in my opinion, their best album, Snakes in the Playground. And over the years, Bride has released 16 full-length studio albums. You can find them pretty much anywhere you can find music. The most recent, Here Is Your God, was released in 2020. And I'm not even sure if these guys still tour at all. It seems like every few years they bust out a new album without a supporting tour, which is kind of interesting because album sales really don't make musicians money, especially nowadays with so much done through streaming platforms, which pay artists like three one hundredths of a cent per stream or something offensive like that. So it must just be for the love of creating music. That's what keeps them going. Huh, imagine that. Well, it's either that or annoying fans like me who are always clamoring for more. When are you going to put out another album? Maybe, just maybe, one day they'll put out an album titled, I Hope This Shuts You Up. I would totally buy that album, gotta be honest. I'm just saying. At any event, you know the deal. It is not about the music. It's about the message. Would you die for me? Having completed overviews of First and Second Thessalonians over the last five or six episodes, I have a couple of thoughts for some more topical episodes, looks at some ideas from Scripture. And for this episode, we're going to take a look at the concept of why the righteous suffer, and why the righteous die. Where did the apostles get the understanding that Messiah's death would atone for the sins of others? So we'll look at these ideas throughout this episode. As always, please study to show yourself approved of God. Dig into the scriptures, dig into his word, and allow his ruach, his breath, his wind to guide you through it. For starters, as we dig into this topic, there are anti-missionaries out there who dispute and dismiss the idea that a righteous person's death in any way atones for the sins of anyone else. And they do this, of course, as anti-missionaries trying to shoot down the atoning death of the Messiah, Yeshua, the righteous one, on behalf of the sins of the world. These carefully crafted arguments are presented in the hopes that those presenting the gospel of Yeshua have little to no knowledge of the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, or have little to no knowledge of Judaism as a whole. 
because with a basic understanding of the Hebrew text and Judaism, this argument from the anti-missionaries is pretty simply shut down by the Hebrew text and by an understanding of Judaism. More on that shortly. So real quick, let's review a few commonly held Christian doctrines regarding atonement through the death of Messiah. And keep in mind, these ideas that we'll review, they all came at much later dates. These are not first century ideas. These were not things that people came up with at the time of or just following uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. These came centuries later. And one of the earliest ideas regarding atonement through the death of the Messiah is the ransom effect. And in this doctrine... Adam and Eve basically handed humanity over to Satan when they fell. They gave him gave him the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. The devil, thus taking all mankind hostage. Under this idea, Hashem is placed in a position of having to buy back his creation. The only ransom price that would satisfy the captor was the life of the Son of the Most High. The enemy assumed this would give him unlimited control for eternity. Things seemed to all play out just as Hasatan, the adversary, had planned. That is, of course, until three days and three nights later, when the Son was resurrected, raised from the dead, foiling the sinister plot of the devil. And so a significant issue that I have with this idea is the thought that Hashem presented his son as an offering to the adversary, Satan. And, you know, even with the pulling of the, uh, you know, the old double reverse, as this thing describes with, you know, the resurrection, that kind of ha gotcha moment, um, it doesn't nullify in this understanding that God made an offering to the devil. And so that's, in a nutshell, the ransom effect doctrine, and that's my concern with this doctrine. There is uh, the penal substitution concept, and this was popularized uh, during the Reformation, uh, 16th, 17th centuries, and uh, According to this understanding, Messiah voluntarily offers himself to receive the punishment of sinful humans. He died in the place of sinners. And this is still a popular doctrine which is held by many present-day churches and believers. There is the representative idea. And under this understanding, Yeshua represents the whole of humanity becoming human. In this concept, through the death of the Messiah and his subsequent resurrection, God alters human nature, bringing a godliness or kind of deification to humanity through these actions, the Incarnation, the life, death, 
burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Messiah, Yeshua. And so through this, he brings sort of a deification to humanity. And, you know, when we think of what it means to be born again or born from above, there's uh, there's there's some connection here. And you'll see that as we go through these handful of of different ideas regarding atonement through the death of the Messiah that you, you'll be able to, I, I think most of you anyway, will kind of make some connections with some familiar scriptures. Um, and this one, again, there appears to be merit connected with scripture based on the idea of being born again, being born from above. And this is the representative concept. There is satisfaction doctrine where restitution is made, and the restitution is made not to the enemy, Hasatan, but satisfaction to Hashem. The creation, humanity, owes an insurmountable debt, and the Most High pays this debt to himself through the life and death of his son, the Messiah, Yeshua. And a more modern idea, when I say more modern, it was concocted and uh, popularized around the 19th century. Um, and this is Christ the victor. In this understanding, Jesus knocks Satan off of his throne. He defeats death and abolishes the Torah. Within this concept, sinners are not paid for as it was, but rather the Torah, God's law, is revealed to be deficient and a part of Satan's system of condemnation and death. And unfortunately, the Christ the Victor doctrine is building in popularity, as you may hear and see through many Western churches. And so again, as we look at each of these ideas regarding the death of Messiah as it relates to the atonement of humanity, we can carefully select certain passages of Scripture, not necessarily in their proper context, and try to support them, build these, build these ideas, or build upon them. Most of these, as I said, have some merit. To quote Stephen A. Smith here, However, none of them incorporate a Jewish understanding of the suffering and death of the righteous. The ideas that would have been in the minds of the apostles and first century followers, believers in the Messiah Yeshua. So with the ideas I just mentioned... The basis is pulled from the writings of the apostles, and again, without proper context. None of these doctrines incorporate that Jewish understanding. So, where did the apostles, all practicing Jewish men, where did they get the idea that the death of the righteous could atone for the sins of other people? Where did they come up with the thought that the death of Messiah would atone for the sins of the world? 
And that is a great question. So let's explore some. Some elementary understanding from Judaism. Hashem is just. He rewards righteousness and punishes sin. This is defined, uh, sin is defined as transgressing the law. And we see from the Hebrew text, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So equal restitution. Measure for measure justice is what this is called. And the master reinforces this understanding when he says, with the measure, the measure with which you measure will be measured to you. Measure for measure justice. The first century apostolic understanding was that suffering and death are a part of the measure for measure justice related to sin suffering and death. The sages agree. All suffering is caused by sin, they say. We see this play out in many situations in the Torah. And according to the Talmud, a person wouldn't be healed until all his or her sins were forgiven. And so that idea, when we think about the paralytic man who is lowered down in front of the master for healing, And what does Yeshua tell this man? Your sins are forgiven. So remember the question the disciples asked pertaining to the man born blind. Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that put him in the state of blindness? And Yeshua tells them that neither the man nor his parents sinned. But you can see from the question asked by his disciples, this was this was the common thought. This was the understanding. Suffering, which includes physical illness or, or disabilities, comes from sin. So, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Yeshua tells them that neither the man nor his parents sinned. This man was born blind that the work of Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, would be displayed in him. So the master identifies an exception to the rule, an exception to this principle of measure for measure justice. The rabbis attribute suffering, human mortality, physical death to sin. In the Torah, we read that each man was put to death for his own sin. Every person dies for his or her own sin. James, or Yaakov, the brother of the master Yeshua, wrote that when sin reaches its fullness, it brings death. Paul, in his letter to the believers in Rome, shared the law of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. Sin begets death. So this brings us back to the question, why then do the righteous suffer? Or as it has been asked more modernly, why do bad things happen to good people? The flip side to that coin being, why do sinners or bad people receive good things? Why do the wicked prosper? And that's a question posed by the prophet Jeremiah. It's asked in the Psalms and by Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Why the wicked prosper? 
So from a Jewish perspective, and more specifically, from a Pharisaic understanding, and that might scare some of you, why are we talking about Pharisee stuff right now? What we need to understand and acknowledge is that the theology of the Master Yeshua HaMashiach and that of his followers aligns with the Pharisees. Yeshua didn't agree with the way all the Pharisees lived out, the, the way they lived out their faith. But as to the overall understanding of Scripture, the Pharisees were in agreement, in agreement with the Master and vice versa. The Master's theology aligns with that of the Pharisees to include the resurrection of the dead. So this is why the Master said that when the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, do what they say, but don't do what they do outside of that setting because they were doing some things out, outside of Torah. They were putting some burdens on people. And so when in the seat of Moses in the temple, the Pharisees could only recite Torah. That's the only thing that they could that they could recite in there. And the master agreed and agrees, forgive me, present tense, agrees with the Torah. Now, according to Yeshua's understanding, which has the approval of the Pharisees and the master's followers, physical death in this world is not the end. The righteous receive reward in, in paradise, Gan Eden, whereas the wicked are punished in Gehenna. Then, at the resurrection, everyone is provided with the opportunity to be presented before the great king for final judgment. So consider the parable the master shared regarding the rich man and Lazarus. Abraham tells the sinful rich man that since he had only good in this life, no suffering, he was going to experience pain in Gehenna. Lazarus, the righteous poor man, suffered in this world, and thus he received comfort in paradise. So according to the sages and the Jewish understanding, suffering in this life encourages repentance. When we go through difficulties, pain, tribulation, suffering, and trials, our initial reaction should be self-examination leading to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, resulting in salvation. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Suffering in this world removes suffering in the world to come. Poor Lazarus, who suffered, isn't suffering anymore. And so the idea being that any suffering we endure here, any loss we incur, pales in comparison to loss in the coming kingdom. And as is written, these light momentary trials are far outweighed by the glory which is to come. Hallelujah. We should recall the words of Yeshua, that it would be better to suffer the loss of one body part in this life than to lose all in Gehenna. Suffering in Olam Hazeh, this world, in order to inherit Olam Haba, a portion in the world which is to come. So let's also, let's take a look 
at the lives of those from before Messiah's birth, from the Tanakh, the Hebrew texts, the Torah, the prophets and the writings. And so there's a great encapsulation of the lives of many of these people in the letter to the Messianic Jewish communities, the book of Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. By faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and made foreign armies flee. Women received their dead raised back to life, and others were tortured after not accepting release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced the trial of mocking and scourging, yes, and even chains and prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were murdered with the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, they were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. So why did these individuals endure unjust, unmerited punishment, suffering, and death? For a better resurrection. Reinforcing the Jewish understanding of suffering in this world and how it relates to one's portion in the coming kingdom. So we've hit a lot of information here, and yet the question remains... Where did the apostles get the notion that the death of a righteous person could atone for the sins of others? And more specifically, the death of the righteous one, the Zadik, the Messiah. His death atoning for the sin of the world. So what we're talking about is undeserved punishment falling on a righteous person. So let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 19. For it is a grace when someone, because he is mindful of God, bears up under the pain of undeserved punishment. For what credit is there in bearing up under a beating you deserved for doing something wrong? But if you bear up under punishment, even though you have done what is right, God looks upon it with favor. Indeed, this is what you were called to, because the Messiah too suffered on your behalf, leaving an example so that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his lips on his lips. When he was insulted, he didn't retaliate with insults. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but handed them over to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the stake so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. The master was unjustly punished and executed on our behalf for our benefit, the righteous one suffering not for his sin, since he had none, but for the sin of others. We receive blessing, peace, 
glory because of his suffering. He also did this as an example for us, as we just read, meaning we will suffer unjustly without merit and we are to do so in the same manner as the master Yeshua, the one we follow. Through the teachings of the sages, in the Talmud and in the Torah, we see an understanding that a righteous person may suffer and die for the sins of others. When asked why the righteous die, and sage, the sages answered, they must die for the sins of others. Holding that even the righteous die because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Think of the Apostle Paul's explanation of the first and last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. For in Adam all die, and in Messiah all will be made alive. A couple of proofs from the Torah regarding atonement for sinners through the death of the righteous. So when a person is guilty of unintentional manslaughter, they are to live, and you can read these uh, throughout the Torah in, uh, in Exodus. Some of this is broken down and then later in other portions of the Torah. But when a person is guilty of unintentional manslaughter, they are to live in protection in a city of refuge until a specific time. What time is that? Until the high priest who was in office at the time of their, the offense, until that high priest dies. Well, why until the high priest dies? Atonement. The death of the righteous atoning for the sin of another. And this really illuminates, this picture illuminates what Yeshua did as the writer of Hebrews calls him our great high priest. And wow, just thinking on that, there is a lot more there to unpack, it seems to me. And perhaps another time, Lord willing, we can take a deeper look at that aspect. Another example to consider regarding the death of the righteous atoning for the sins of others is in Exodus at the time of the golden calf. When Adonai tells Moses that he is going to wipe this people out because of their behaviors, he was going to wipe them out. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and he pleads to Hashem that if the Almighty is unwilling to forgive the people their sin, he should blot Moses's name out of his book. This was Moses's prayer, his intercession, asking that his name be blotted out of Hashem's book. He offered himself as atonement. He wasn't engaged in their behavior. He was righteous. And so he's offering himself as atonement for the people. Throughout Judaism, there are many references to the suffering and death of the righteous uh, compensating and atoning for the sins of others. And in Maccabees, for example, apocryphal writing, I know, um, Eliezer prays that his death and the death of those with him would purify the nation of Israel. And so there is even the idea that a righteous person's death, depending on who the individual is, not only atone for one person's sin or for the sin of their household, their family, but for a generation, 
for a nation in the Talmud in order to stop a plague among the people. Uh, the angel of death is asked to take a great man from among the people, through whose death many sins will be atoned. So this is a very common theme woven throughout Judaism, and this would be the understanding of the apostles. Once again, all practicing Jewish people. This would be their understanding. And there are multiple other examples throughout the oral and written traditions that speak to this concept. So according to Measure for Measure Justice, the righteous do not deserve the fate of death. So the death of the righteous and their suffering tips the scales of measure for measure to the benefit of sinful humans, wicked people. And this is how the sages identify the idea of Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering servant. And Joseph, of course, is an example of one who suffered unjustly for the benefit of others, the entire nation. And we can, time would fail us to speak of Job also. Yeshua fulfills the role of the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah. In fact, it was our disease he bore, our pains from which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished, stricken, and afflicted by God. But he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises we are healed. After forcible arrest and sentencing, he was taken away, and none of his generation protested his being cut off from the land of the living for the crimes of my people, who deserved the punishment themselves. He was given a grave among the wicked. In his death, he was with a rich man, although he had done no violence and had said nothing deceptive. Yet it pleased Adonai to crush him with illness to see if he would present himself as a guilt offering. If he does, he will see his offspring, and he will prolong his days, and at his hand Adonai's desire will be accomplished. After this ordeal, he will see satisfaction by knowing, by his knowing pain and sacrifice, my righteous servant makes many righteous. It is for their sins that he suffers. Therefore, I will assign him a share with the great. He will divide the spoil with the mighty. For having exposed himself to death and being counted among the sinners, while actually bearing the sin of many and interceding for the offenders. So that's Isaiah 53. And just as I read that, I think also of the, of the words of the Apostle Paul that correlate to this understanding, where he, in Philippians, he talks about how the master humbled himself, becoming flesh, becoming human, and surrendering, submitting himself to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross, an execution set aside for the most sinful of people. So Isaiah 53 illuminates 
the truth that the suffering and death of the righteous atone for the sins of others, and certainly that the suffering and death of the Zadik, the righteous one, Yeshua HaMashiach, atones for the sins of the world. Righteous people have earned favor in the eyes of Hashem. So, when they suffer and even die, it is to the benefit of wicked people. Yeshua, the Messiah of promise, having an infinite abundance of favor through his perfect obedience in all things, his right living in the eyes of the Holy One, blessed be he. Thus, his undeserved suffering and death atones for the sin of the world, for the Jew and for the Gentile, which is freely given to those who surrender and submit to him as master, yielding to his kingship, his lordship, following him in how he walked in love, faith, and obedience, living according to the master's teaching of repentance and right living. It is said that the repentant have the reward, have a reward that the righteous do not even receive. The suffering and death of Yeshua is atonement for us, for our sin. So much favor he earned that it will atone for the sin of all who will repent and turn to Hashem through him. His unmerited death opens the door for forgiveness to us, reconciliation to the Father through Yeshua HaMashiach. Please study to show yourself approved of God. There is a lost and dying world out there, and they need to know that there is hope. The death of the Zadik, the righteous one, Yeshua, has atoned for them. There is redemption in his name. So let's go out and give him heaven. Until next time, may the favor, the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, the master earned in the eyes of Hashem, May that favor be upon you and your entire household. And the peace of God that passes all understanding reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah, Yeshua. Grace and peace. Chain Shalom.